Welcome to Nerder Shiro. I'm your host, Mo Dekeel. Dave Dufour could not join us, but we got a great group today. As always, we have Seth Partnell. He's got his tears out. Everybody better go check out, start reading those and catch up on it and yell at him on the internet. And we have the wonderful, amazing Nate Duncan. I mean, we couldn't ask for anybody better. Host of the Dunk On podcast and... What do you call the Hollinger one? Um, I messed uh, that one Hollinger up. and Duncan. Very, very creative. But what is this nerdish year? I was told that this is the uh, best of, of summer league fashion awards. Are you making a? Uh, I mean, like, listen, dude, it's a it's a self deprecating joke. You look but, great, but, but you unfortunately came along for the ride too. <laughs> yeah, like, not fully prepared. This is what happens when you go to summer league. You're just like, ah, eh, I'm gonna throw on some clothes. It's hot out, so I don't know how you're wearing a sweatshirt. Well, I mean, Partno is the best dressed uh, among all of us. So what does that, that say? That is that has never been said ever. This is the most professional Seth has looked, I think, since we've done a podcast. Um, but I mean, the good news is that we are a, a good like two years. You're ahead of the trend now because in two years, cargo shorts will be back in. Well, no, they're dad shorts, so I'm, I'm allowed. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Yeah. Is this a fashion prediction? Yeah. I want to write this one down. Two years from now, market. Everything's it's like it's like 20 years, isn't it? Right. Like, you know, whenever the people who had their fashion when they were 15 become 35 and get nostalgic, then like that comes back in again. Right. I don't know. I'm, I, I, I've, I had terrible fashion then. I'm going to have terrible fashion right. now. I'm wearing basketball shorts till the day I die. Um, let's, though, uh, as most people don't come to us for fashion, as you can Thank obviously goodness. tell, uh, let's start talking about the NBA offseason. Uh, we're going to get into summer league and all that fun stuff. But I want to ask you guys off the bat, what team has impressed you? Not so much just a player signing somewhere, but what team you feel like has made the – biggest leap or, or has impressed you were like those were some good moves so I, I i the two teams that i thought helped themselves the most in terms of really moving forward were brooklyn almost as much the their competitors not doing so yeah. and some i think some smart like under the radar signings patty mills i thought was a was a really good pickup for them and i, I like what denver did um again uh, nothing huge just under the radar uh, keeping Jermichael Green, adding Jeff Green, who I think has been a very solid pro the last couple of years and a very useful playoff performer, which depending on when Jamal Murray comes back next year and and what he looks like, that might be a pretty big deal to have a player like that because that's, that's a player type they've kind of missed in the postseason the last couple of years. There is maybe an argument that the teams that kind of sat it out it actually maybe did better in what was an overheated market and – Everyone is like, win now, win now, win now. You know, it's the, the as myopic as it gets these days yeah. as far as like winning now this year. There's the play in, there's Atlanta and Phoenix both improving over one year, which now I think is making every downtrodden owner think that, hey, why can't we be them? And right. so the ghost maybe, of Chris Paul. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe just sitting, sitting th- like, you know, Boston's offseason, I think, is actually a somewhat interesting one now that they've added Schroeder, who is not a great player, but for the taxman level and, you know, just a scorer off the bench is, is kind of what they needed. Um, so I don't think there were any great off seasons. The Knicks in Washington, I thought were pretty good sure. too, but there wasn't anyone I really thought transformed themselves to move up just like a crazy tier in terms of contention. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's kind of what I've been saying about this off season in general. I think we're all in line and like nobody made a fantastic signing. Like I'm not walking away going like this team has jumped from being, rubbish to their contender now like there's the, everybody's just kind of stayed 
relatively the same. The Lakers made their big moves. You know, I don't really like the Russ move, but every move I think afterwards kind of made sense considering what they were dealing with financially and things like that. Going to be interesting if those guys can keep up and continue to shoot and defend. You know, what is Baysmore going to really continue to shoot from 40% from three? I don't know. Like, I don't know if that's something that's real that you can count on. You know, what's Wayne Ellington going to do? And, and, you know, Trevor Ariza, can he still be on the court? All of those things are going to be important factors there. But let me ask you this question because, Seth, you kind of brought it up. Nobody got better. And, like, the net for that means the Nets feels like yeah. they've won. I think teams, I think. Miami got better. Yeah, I don't sure. think they got enough better for, especially for how much they've locked themselves in to, to, you know, what is, what is a pretty good core, but without a lot of, I mean, a very good core with, with Lowry, uh, Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo. Um, but without really the, the, the mechanisms to, to build much around that, at least for this year, right. maybe next year they can start to, but at that point, then like, how old is Kyle Lowry going to be? Right. You know, <laughs> Jimmy Butler is someone who's got a lot of hard miles on him. So you wonder how long that core is going to stay at a really high level, well, given the ages of the players. That's when they're going to start wearing cargo shorts. That's when you know Miami's going to be a little bit yeah. concerned. They got well, it like <laughs> well recalled. But well, I don't think cargo shorts were ever in style in Miami. Fair. <laughs> but so, Nate, what do you think of what Miami did with, with the moves they made? Yeah, it'll be interesting because I think there are a lot of teams where it have kind of these NBA existential questions right like i think they've probably to me moved into kind of a 2a tier now in the east behind milwaukee and brooklyn where you know but maybe they're higher than your bostons and your atlantas you know, if everything is clicking obviously there's a lot of age related risks which we talked about but the reason i say it's kind of an existential question is all right let's say they're the three seed they lose a hard fought second round series and then they kind of peter out from there over the over the next few years, but you do have a 31 year old Jimmy Butler right now that they feel like is a a star player that they want to build around, and they have another All Star and out of bio, so they feel like they need to go for it now. Kyle Lowry is the best guy to change teams, and they took PJ Tucker away from the Bucks, but you know is whatever that is right now is the, you know whether it's tough second round exit against the Nets, I mean, maybe they're you know, could be a like dark horse championship contender if Bam and Jimmy play like they played in the 2000 playoffs. So that's your question. As an owner, as a GM with some job security, is that worth it? That what's you guys answer to that question? So I think that they that they I don't think that's what they think they did. I think they put I think they think they put themselves on that that kind of that that top seed line, and I don't agree with that and. I think the the Lowry move was good. I think resigning Duncan Robinson was good. The one that kind of I didn't like as much was PJ Tucker because I think too much of the thought process for that was taking him away from Milwaukee and and not enough uh, thought was into how it locks them into what is I think a thin, slow, small team. And I don't think that those are three things that that at least in the last couple postseasons we've seen. I don't think those are three things that that necessarily bode well for their ability to, you know, step up and spring that upset. I would have liked to see and, you know, you get into the problem here of, OK, well, who do you mean? And that's a that's a very good question. But I would have liked to see, you know, some some athleticism, maybe a little more depth, couple get three, maybe lesser, but 
playable guys in that spot instead of kind of shooting the whole mid-level like bullet on Tucker. Yeah. And, you know, the thing is for me with that, especially the Tucker signing, it's they're still searching for that Crowder replacement, right? Like they tried it with Ariza last year, didn't quite pan out the way they hoped. And now it's PJ Tucker. And now we're going to, they're hoping like that's going to be the guy. And it does just doesn't fit that mold for me. You know, it's, he's a threat from the corner threes, but is he really a threat? Like how much are teams going to defend it? I think we started to see the Suns in the finals begin to leave him and, and, and things like that. Like that was the difference for Miami when they went to the finals was just how well Crowder shot it. And whether that's real or not, because the bubble, it's, it's, uh, we can debate that forever, but they're still looking for that guy. And I just, but I don't know if that guy was out there this offseason. You know, maybe it was James Johnson. I don't know. Um, but like, th- that's, that's the problem they kind of had to deal with, with filling out the roster. Well, I really like what they did defensively. They have a ton of defensive mm-hmm. versatility now with, Lowry, Tucker, and uh, other than Duncan Robinson, you can get away with one weak link. Like yeah, if you're switching to to cover up, probably not two. So I mean, I think their profile is one of the best playoff defenses in the league, maybe the best. If I really, I haven't really gone through and done the tiers what I think teams are defensively, but you know they might be the best playoff defense. The Bucks will still be up there, yeah. obviously too. But so that can get you some currency, and I think they they believe that. You know, enough of Jimmy Butler and Cal Lowry grifting for fouls oh, right. and, and you know, Duncan <laughs> Robinson can get hot. Like, I don't think they're going to be a great offensive team, but I, I do. The alternative path was not really an obvious one. And right. I do think that taking Tucker away from Milwaukee does hurt Milwaukee a lot just because they now no longer have the personnel to switch defensively, which they did, I thought, to pretty good effect in these playoffs. Yeah. Let's let's switch off a little bit from Milwaukee, Miami, because there's two teams we haven't talked about, and their offseason might push them into the regular season a little bit. And we haven't touched on Philadelphia or Toronto. I'm throwing a curveball at you guys. I cheated here a little bit. Um, Seth knows I do this all the time. The situation, obviously, we know with the Sixers, what are they going to do with Ben Simmons? We're all expecting a trade. One, it's going to happen. And then you have Toronto with questions of Siakam. And what? how is that going to – unfold in itself what have you guys seen so far from their off seasons and looking ahead what are you guys thinking like what do they need to do i mean because it doesn't feel like the sixers have done much and it's everything's on hold until they know what they're going to do with ben simmons yeah i think that's i i I think that's the big domino left to fall in the nba i think and i i don't have any i don't have a great sense of where they're going with that i i think that the pendulum on where ben simmons is as a player has swung way too far to the negative. Shocking in this yeah. day and age that we overreact. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> well, it's it swung to where I always was. Personally. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I know, yeah, on him specifically. Right. Um, actually, and, and you know, talking about the other the other player who who we mentioned in this conversation, the other play, similar player is, is Pascal Siakam, who I think has also been sort of downrated more because we focus so much on what he can't do in the last couple of years. He can't be the best offensive player on a on a high-level playoff team that we've sort of lost sight of all the things he can do. Now, like Ben Simmons is a much more extreme player with his both his limitations and his strengths. But I, I can't really blame Daryl Morey for holding out for a lot for Ben Simmons because you give him up for some of the deal. Like you trade him straight up for CJ McCollum. Like You're you going got, no it, Yeah. Well, no, I mean, A, you, got, you just made Portland a lot better and – where are you going? And that's your if that's your one shot to take, 
where are you now? So this is their, like, what they can get for, for Embiid is their shot to really reset and start, you know, the ascent that they seem to be on a for couple Simmons. years ago. Yeah, for Simmons. Yeah, everybody yeah. in Philly freaked out. You just said Embiid, and they, no, all, they sorry, all jumped yeah, yeah. for a second. Yeah, it was yeah, like, yeah, what yeah. the hell? No, <laughs> I'm just building around Embiid. With, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, this pregnant situation now with Lillard and with Beal of the just – you wonder when the trade scenario is going to gestate <laughs> yeah. with them, right? And, you know, Beal will probably find out when he, whether he takes the extension or not in October. Though, who knows? Washington could even just go into the season with him and then maybe reassess around the trade deadline. And, you know, Lillard, it seems like they're sort of in a similar boat with him as well. And Daryl Morey, you know, he's not going to go all in on average. Like, I think trading Ben Simmons for CJ McCollum would make his team better. I think there's also a risk, and, and you, we may disagree on that, uh, given your uh, quizzical facial expression. There. <laughs> That's just my, I have I, 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 I resting confused face. So. I yeah. get that all the time on the podcast. Yeah, this, this in-person <laughs> podcasting, man. It's, it's so it's, weird. It's, like, it's just weird. I don't know yeah, what to do. I used to get away with all my bullshit, and now, <laughs> now it's like you, know, you, would, you would have never known that he had that facial expression. Um, but so, but I, I think you would make your team better by just – getting a more reliable playoff performer, but you are, you know, is that a championship contender? If you do that, maybe not. It's also high risk that Ben Simmons value would continue to decline. I mean, he's on a 30% max contract. That is a big contract. Uh, and so if he continues to not live up to that at the start of the season, and it looks like his free throw shooting is still bad and he hasn't improved that at all or his jumper at all, you know, he's supposed to, he's going to do all this individual work during the off season. But if that it turns out to be insignificant, um, but Daryl, I think he's willing to take that risk when you that is the piece that maybe puts you in you know, from a salary matching standpoint, if not also just a guy who's under contract and has a lot of talent for Lillard or Beal. And so I don't think that Simmons gets done until those situations resolve one way or another. Yeah, like I don't I'm probably in the minority here, but like I don't even think it's a that worrisome if Simmons comes back to Philly in the I, training I camp. Like, I think there's a whole – a lot of people are out there saying, got to trade him before the, the training camp, got to trade him before the season, all of that stuff, got to get him out. Like, that's ideal, but I don't think works in our time. Necessarily, NBA GMs don't work on our timelines. You know, they, it would be really helpful if they did, if they gave us a call and asked us when, when it can go down, but, you know, not going to happen anytime soon. The concept to me is just – this is the big trade for them. You, you touched on it. But with Embiid's timeline and his health history, you only know you've probably got a, a, a three, four-year window, you know, assuming he could stay healthy, and you got to go big. And I just don't think CJ doesn't do it for me, right? Like when I look at it with CJ, it doesn't, you know, it, it's like, okay, that's a nice piece, but, you know, he's on a big contract, and it's like – I'd almost rather Seth Curry on the contract he no, has. I was, was going to ask, like, how much better is, is as a kind of a second or third guy, how much better is CJ McCollum than Seth Curry? And is it enough different for, yes, he's a better on-ball creator, but is it enough better to be worth, what is, I mean, it was the 20-something million difference in, in what they're paid and what you can do with that. And then, and then on top of that, though, if Ben Simmons doesn't get better at all, let's just say comes back. Still a potential defensive player of the year guy. Can guard, I believe, one through five. Like, that's hard to come by. And if you're a team that's been terrible on defense, Sacramento, Portland, 
all of those teams need a guy like that. Like, and you know, he still has great passing vision. You know, he's still going to create a ton of threes. And we've never seen him on his own, you know, without Embiid. You give him an opportunity to do, just create, go be Giannis-like. He's not Giannis. Everybody relax. I don't need anybody coming at me. Just, you know, but Giannis-like or something like that. Or, or in a different version, a different world where he gets to play on his own, he can go off. Like, you know, I think about that game against Utah when Embiid was out and he dropped 42 and it was unbelievable that game at both ends. And Sixers had no business being in that game. They lost, but they had no business being in that game. It just shows you, like, I think GMs and teams are probably thinking a little more of what can he be on our team more than what we've seen. And I think even if he doesn't get better, it's still a hell of a piece. Yeah, to me, I don't see – I think you and I disagree a little bit on Simmons being this transformative defensive player. And like, And I agree with you that he can guard one through five one-on-one, but I don't think he is – the level of help defender that you need if he's playing the five to actually, you know, if he could be Draymond Green defensively and give you what he gives offensively, that to me is a different kind of player defensively that you can really build your system around. Whereas, you know, I think I still think he wasn't the best defensive player on his own team last year. I think that was Joel Embiid. And, and I think there's only so much of an effect that, a, I mean, and just look what Trey Young did to them in the playoffs, right? Like, there's only so much that in today's day and age when you can screen or you can particularly even just screen with a small and teams are going to just switch that, that one ostensibly lockdown perimeter defender can do. And so you need a guy who also is a great off-ball defender and Simmons is only good to me in, we, in that area. Are we thinking of Simmons incorrectly as a defense? Like we're kind of putting him in that Anthony Davis, Giannis mold of the 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 you know, very mobile but – elite interior defender when isn't isn't he more of like a supercharged robert covington in that role like a, a robert covington who's also very good on the ball you're talking about simmons simmons yeah i, I don't think he's as good of a health defender as okay. robert covington all right like, i don't think he he blocks shots i don't think he has the same type of instincts uh or the same length actually even necessarily either i, I think he's way better obviously as yeah. an on ball perimeter but, defender but isn't that more the category we should be talking about him rather than kind of and, these these Guys who are fours who are who are effective being in the in the kind of the the interior center defender role as a help defender, um, I, and I don't know if that I, I imagine that changes what what you yeah. think the ceiling of that is. But well, I, I think that there are really very few fours that I look at as like a real value added. You know, there's Giannis, there's Draymond, and those guys are kind of fives. So yeah. And there's Covington. I mean, who else is a guy who's going to come over as like a secondary help defender and really cause problems for you at the rim? It's a. It's not as big a list as it as, no. it, as it used to be. I mean, it, that used to be the Serge Ibaka role, right? <laughs> yeah, we. I mean, we talked like Blake Griffin. Even he was always criticized for not being a rim protector. And then you go down the list of fours. Even at that time, you're like, yeah, you know, like Zach Randolph, a great rim protector. <laughs> like there were right. there were big guys, but they're you know kind of more burly. They weren't like big. You know, not all of them were like a Rashid Wallace type necessarily. Well, but it's just the evolving of the game, right? Yeah. Like we're, we're we're thinking these guys are got to be this when they're not. But I, the one thing you, you touched on that this drives me nuts, and I think Seth knows what I'm going to touch on, is when you have a guy like Simmons, teams need to stop switching. You need to start fighting through screens. You need to start with – the NBA has gotten so switch happy to the point now where it's like you got guys that can defend one-on-one at, those, at, at that level, and it's not just Simmons. You have a guy like Thibel, 
you know, again, another sixer. But, you know, when you have great one-on-one guys, teams, coaches, they got to start getting off this switch thing. The, the, the switching in general in the NBA has become a pandemic of its own. Wow. No, I agree with you. Um, and, and this is so when you're talking about, like, the Bucks playoff defense, I think the switching was part of it. But there's sort of base defense, which involved, you know, Lopez in, in that center field drop. Center field, sorry, Mo, and and and, and then uh, and 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 with you know with Holiday fighting over the top of the screen, so they're not having to switch. I think that's you know yes, you can't do either exclusively, but being able to to have guys who fight over screens, like so much playoff offense is just like hey, we're gonna run some action, and two guys are gonna run into each other, and then we've got our best player being guarded by Tyler Hero. Let's go, and I think that we. I think we can do better about, you know, making teams work a little bit more. I think we like we saw in the first game of the finals what what it looks like when you give up switches super easily. And if, if you recall, that was Chris Paul just dribbling down the floor is like, OK, we're going to run this and I'm going to have Brooke Lopez on me with 19 on the shot clock and you're dead. And so I, I agree with you, Mo, that that a little bit more fighting through is, is just at times switching is, is, a, is, a, is something to have in the bag. But even when you have, but it's also like your personnel, yeah. right? Like, listen, the, the golden state warriors and their, their run had five or four unbelievable defenders, right? It's yeah. like, yeah, switching makes sense when you yeah. go from clay Thompson to Andre Iguodala. It's like, yeah, that's great. You know, when you're doing it now where it's like, okay, we're going from Giannis to Brent Forbes problem like you like that just doesn't compute and it's and it's literally honest just gets hit by the screen okay good luck you know good luck Bryn you know and 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 I think but I think when you have a guy at the level of Simmons and and we're going to disagree on his defense like I'm I'm a little higher on that you know you you don't switch like I think you just have to get to that like hey fight through the top go under whatever but like the last thing you do is switching unless you're absolutely screwed and I think that's kind of the thing when I look at it with Simmons for a team trading for him, if they trade for him and then they're just going to stay in a switch defense. Yeah. You guys just gave away the, the farm for now. Yeah. Like if, if say they, if somehow the CJ for, for uh, Simmons trade happens and, and they run like, you know, Dame's guy runs into and they switch like, why, why even bother having Simmons on the team? If you're going to just, well, go at Dame again. It also just depends who the role man is yeah. too, right? Yeah. If it's yeah. Duncan Robinson on a pick and pop, like, yeah, you might want to switch that because otherwise he's going to be open. Right. right? Uh, you know, if it's Dorian Finney-Smith setting the screen, like, okay, we'll, we'll let you try to make a four-on-three play downhill and prove you can beat us that way before we're going to switch that. That's right. Yeah. yeah. And, 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 and as everything, it's always personnel base mm-hmm. who you're up against and things like that. But let's pivot here a little bit because we're actually – at Las Vegas, literally in the Thomas and Mack Pavilion concourse. I don't know the words, uh, but we're Con- here in concourse. A, concourse. Thank yeah. you. This is why we have you, Nate. Smart guy, not smart. You know, on the concourse here. So let's talk about summer league. I want to start off right away, and I'm going to look at the camera. It's summer league. Like what you see here is not necessarily like a guy drops thirty here doesn't mean he's going to be a star in the regular season. Anthony Randolph isn't going to the Hall of Fame. <laughs> No, he is. Okay. The Summer League Hall of okay. Fame. Well, but, well, and not only that, we're re- recording this after one game that all of these teams have played in Summer League as well. And and yes, and I want you to define each of these guys' career from this off that one game. No, um, I, I just think we get lost in the uh, – people get lost in the conversation of – Summer League's weird too. You have a weird construction on the roster sometimes. You have guys who, if you're a big man, you might not see the ball. 
just because you got a bunch of guards that are trying to make a team or, or whatnot and a whole different setup of, of, of vibing in that. So everybody needs to take the conversation in context. And as Nate said, we literally have only seen these guys once at this point, you know, it being Tuesday. But yeah. your early, early impressions, but, who's kind of impressed you? But maybe, maybe we should just talk about people who just there's something about them that surprised us that we, that we didn't realize. That's just as just watching guys. I mean, you can draw a few conclusions on guys physically or, you know, maybe a shot looks better or something, something like that. Um, well, then take it away. Um, you know, I thought uh, I just watched uh, the Hawks classic victory over the <laughs> Pacers and uh, Jalen Johnson just looks real big out there. He played a lot of center for them. Uh, he was running the floor pretty hard. He got a, a tip on an offensive rebound that got him the game winning shot from Sharif Cooper in the corner who made five threes, which is supposed to be his his weakness. You know, Sharif Cooper hitting five threes. That's the thing you don't want to overreact to. But just seeing someone play hard who's maybe more athletic than you thought, like Jalen Johnson, where you're just like, oh, this guy is a real NBA difference maker type athlete. And I wouldn't say that I you know, didn't see that before. I didn't watch a lot of film on him. But seeing it in person, you know, it's particularly in that small arena when you're up close, you know, you could really feel like the force that he brings to the game. Right, for sure. No, I don't think, and, and I think Nate brings up a good point. We, we didn't really talk about Atlanta, but Atlanta, I mean, without really doing much, Atlanta had a nice offseason. I mean, the, their their big move was re-signing John Collins, and and yeah. you know, I, I I don't know what I don't know what you thought about that 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 deal, but I but I think in terms of where they picked them, I thought they did pretty well in the draft too, getting getting Johnson and, and Sharif Cooper, who was um, I I I kind of feel like he was a guy who was underdrafted just in terms of okay, he's small and he's, has defensive questions and shooting questions, but the upside as a as an offensive driver is so significant that I'm surprised that nobody took a chance on him earlier than, than you know, mid-late second round. Yeah, other Cooper, I would say, you know, he was someone who looked, and, you know, guys can figure it out, obviously, at a new level of athleticism, but I thought he kind of got swallowed up a little bit by some of the athletes. Like, he hit five threes, but he didn't do all that much else in the half court other than that in that game. So, you know, that's kind of an example yeah. again of just seeing, you know, that doesn't mean that he can't turn that around or figure things out necessarily right. either. But um, yeah. And, you know, getting down right is probably an upgrade on that Chris Dunn spot that they had last year. And they just have a really deep team, very well built for the regular season. They probably won't have as many injuries this year as they did last year. I don't see them necessarily making it to the conference finals, but yeah, they did everything that you could hope to. That Collins deal is, uh, you know, I mean, I don't know whether it's a good deal or a bad deal, but it's less worse than it could have been in, right. from a team standpoint. Yeah, um, and no, I and I agree with you that that what I take most from summer league, especially for the first year guys, is that physicality. Um, you know, the 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 team. I uh, I thought that the both both of the the rookie guards that that the Knicks drafted. I like skill level hard to tell but just in terms of their physicality was was you know quentin grimes looked like in a good way big and and yeah. for a guy coming in to play like that wing spot you can't you can never really tell in college and then you get him on the court against the the pro level players it's like okay no that that's that's nba that's an nba two guard size right there that's good size for a two guard and that's that happens to me a ton here at summer yeah. league it's like when i go see a guy like scotty barnes all of a sudden i'm like oh scotty barnes a lot bigger than I thought, you yeah. know, and it's it's along those lines of when you get to look at them in person and then see their movements and, and how do they move. Yeah. It, it, it may not necessarily flow on television as easily as you can see it up close in person. And what's their 
you know, are their movements more mechanical or is it fluid? Is it kind of flowing or, or, or things like that? And, and I think, you know, for me with Scotty Barnes, like the first quarter, I was like, wow, this dude's like pretty mechanical in his movements. But it looked like as he got comfortable in that game, he started to flow better and move a little easier. I think it's also for some of these guys uh, a little bit nerve wracking the first game or two, just trying to get the feet under them. You know, but who else has kind of impressed you guys or or disappointed you? I mean, in the sense of I we shouldn't phrase it that way. That's yeah. my fault as a host. But just what what have you give me an observation you've seen of a guy that you're you were excited to look for? I, 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 I didn't think he has the highest ceiling as a player, but like Davian Mitchell looks, you know, so as ball hawk. Yeah, <laughs> he's doing I mean, he's yeah. 23 years yes. old. He's the one of the oldest guys that were drafted in the top 10. Yeah. I think, you know, and there's some. Wes Johnson's and Rafael Arujo's on those lists, yeah. which is not amazing. But, you know, for and you expect him, all right, he's supposed to be ready to play right now, being, I think, 23. Uh, and, you know, that's part of why you draft him there. But he's done so far, including in the California Summer League, everything that you – that he's handled everything that's been put in front of him the way you would want for a guy drafted in his position at his age. Yeah. Like, and I think the, the, at least again, it's, it's a game or two for most of these guys. So you don't want to, you know, you don't want to like write obituaries or anything like that. But the, the contrast is, is Chris Duarte who, you know, again, much older player drafted, ready to step in right away. Didn't, what I don't want to say it was anonymous, but what didn't stand out as it, the guy he looked was, he looked better actually in this game than okay. they just played yeah okay. but uh yeah and I didn't see the first one yeah but. no and in 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 the first game there was he was kind of standing in the corner yeah. a fair amount so it, it's it's the adjustment level yeah right it's kind of like figuring that flow and in, in that movement and this isn't even a normal NBA game in the sense of like you know it's ten minutes and it's in very basic playbook it, yeah it's it's it, you've you've been together for three practices and then you went, you know, and, and things like that. I want to get back to Davion Mitchell and, and Sacramento just because I loved him. I just didn't love the pick for Sacramento, you know, in, in that, you know, now you have, you're going to run three guards. Like I don't like that kind of setup that they're doing, but he just defensively, when I watched him against book night, like it's, it was very intense for even just like summer league. I was like, damn dude, like, save it a little bit almost like like, someone took it personally yeah just felt slighted um what give me one more guy that you guys each that 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 you you liked or you're excited to see and you you need to see more from just because we've saw one game of these guys and it may not be enough to to fully bounce but who's somebody you're looking forward to seeing? i'm looking forward to seeing jalen suggs um he's he i think he's a player who i was lower on than than most and so i just really i i I'm anxious to see if kind of what the people who saw things in him saw is here or if it if it if basically how how quickly am I going to have to take an L on that if I'm going to have to take that L. I can't wait till you take an L just so I can bring it all over you on Nerder. (laughs) I yeah, (laughs) I I think Jalen Suggs would be a very nice player for a long time. You know, I I, the superstar upside from like a skill level standpoint. I just that's maybe what I didn't. Yeah, that was my that was that was my that was my concern, I guess, was was. Yeah, Um, obviously, like we're everyone's everyone wants to see Kate. Right. Um, uh, And again, I haven't I haven't had a chance to see him yet, but but just to see, you know, whether the size and skill level and if his his kind of almost slow motion game, how it like how it translates in this environment might tell us something or it might not because, you know, summer league can be very frenetic. 
I, I do think he's someone who, you know, the first game he was like 5 of 16, uh, was not getting great separation. Like his jumper looks very good. He hit a couple of off-ball threes, wasn't able to get, you know, much in terms of like physical finishes in the paint. I was very impressed by how hard he plays. You know, one of the harder playing number one pick, you know, stud prospects that you're going to see like defensively. Um, so that looked pretty good. But I do think he's someone who is going to be need they're going to need to put him in position to succeed offensively more than just all right set it up run high pick and roll you know he might need to get a mismatch against a smaller player and get into the post where he's actually he's very good from a triple threat position with a live dribble or you know get him the matchup that that he needs or also someone who could catch a pass and finish you know he had a bunch of potential assists that guys like fumbled out of bounds and stuff like that well, that's nothing new game. for him after his Oklahoma <laughs> State with Oh, man, I just woke up, and I tell you, I'm feeling great. I'm ready to embrace the day because I slept on a Helix mattress, the Helix Midnight Lux, in fact. And I used to sleep on a mattress that I thought was good because it was expensive and just thought maybe my body is failing me. My back is hurting every morning just because I'm getting older. Nope, it was the mattress. It was the mattress all along. And now I have remedied that with Helix. Helix Sleep has a quiz that takes just two minutes to complete and matches your body type and sleep preferences to the perfect mattress for you. Why would you buy a mattress made for someone else? With Helix, you're getting a mattress that you know will be perfect for the way that you sleep. Everybody's unique and Helix knows that, so they have several different mattress models to choose from. They have soft, medium, firm mattresses. Mattresses great for cooling you down if you sleep hot, and even a Helix Plus mattress for plus-size sleepers. I took the Helix quiz and I was matched with the Helix Midnight Lux mattress like I told you before because I wanted something that was, you know, pretty soft, but something that helped me because I like to sleep on my side. So if you're looking for a mattress, you take the quiz, you order the mattress that you're matched to, and the mattress comes right to your door, shipped for free. You don't even have to go to the mattress store ever again. Helix is awesome, but you don't need to take my word for it. Helix was awarded the number one best overall mattress pick of 2020 by GQ and Wired Magazine. Just go to helixsleep.com slash NBA show and take the two-minute quiz and they'll match you to a customized mattress that will give you the best sleep of your life. And you can try it risk-free for 100 nights and they'll even pick it up from you if you don't love it, but you obviously will. Helix is offering up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash NBA show. That's helixsleep.com slash NBA show for up to $200 off and two free pillows. Well, yeah. What were your guys' thoughts on Evan Mobley? Just in the one game I saw him, he didn't like score a bunch or anything like that. I didn't feel like the numbers were great, but it looked he looked a little more comfortable in the sense of was getting good post position. Just felt like he left shots short and things like that. But I felt like his, for as skinny as he is, his physicality was pretty good. He had a good offensive rebound into a dunk and things like that. But in general, I, I saw, and it wasn't a great game from him, but I was still encouraged going like, no, nah, I liked what I saw so far, but I want to get your guys' view if you've seen him. Yeah, I did watch that game. I think when he's under the room, he gets on top of the basket very quickly. Uh, you know, I think he gets off the ground fast, even if he's not getting like that high necessarily. Um I think that he needs to be a five to maximize his potential. Like there isn't anything special that he can do at the four, particularly early in his career. He's going to 
struggled to score. Uh, you know, he was being guarded by like Kenyon Martin Jr. Right. And right, so right. that he wasn't really able to get much traction against him. Like he's not going to be able to beat that guy off the dribble facing up. Um, I also think he needs to develop a little bit more of like just shooting over guys, turnaround shots where he, he he's skinny and he tries to back down, but he like can't really do that. I mean, he's very well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, but I think, and then the thing that I liked the most about him was his passing on the college tape. And if he's playing the four, you don't really get much of that, right? He's not, can't run much like the DHO game. Like can't really find guys back door. Like the way that opens up is because, you know, he can shoot it out there. You've got to guard him with your five. And then there's all these cuts open going back door, you know, and the, those delay actions, you can reverse the ball and then roll to the basket. So if he's a four, you know, he played next to Fiondo coming Gailey and, uh, you know, they signed Jared Allen. If he's playing a lot of the four, I don't see how. And then his rim protection is muted as well. So I, it's just really hard for him to have a huge impact with the variety of skills that he has. When at the four, there are a lot of guys who have that type of skill level at the five. That's when it becomes unique. I feel like that that you 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 almost gave like the several years ago scouting report on John Collins. <laughs> I mean, it's slightly different physicality, yeah, but, but but he yeah. like he's got way more room production though than John Collins, yeah. right? Like, and John, I will I'll give him credit. I think he's really improved as a perimeter defender and shooter yeah. as well. Like, I I don't think that Mobley's gonna be the level of shooter that Collins is, but yeah, I mean, like that's what's exciting about him is that he actually can protect the rim at that level if he gets strong enough. Mm-hmm. What did you think about his uh, his his uh, lateral movement? That's a, that's one of those, especially both as a four, but even as a five. Is he going to be able to like slide with guys and get out, or is he someone who's going to have to to play back a little? Or can he? Or or is he switchable? Yeah, I, that was kind of the thought that he would be. Switch- He's kind of more of like a back you off, back off of you and contain type of guy. I, I, we didn't see too much of that that I can remember in the first game that really stuck out to me though. All right. Well, I think that's going to do it today. We got games to go watch because, you know, we've only watched just a little bit of these guys and we want to make sure we have a proper uh, assessment. Somewhat and at the and I got to go find that fashion show. Oh, I mean, I was going to end with a cargo shorts joke and you just kind of killed it. But that's we're going to we're going to end with Nate fashioning uh, cargo shorts. Nate Duncan, everybody go check out the Dunked On podcast and the Hollinger and Duncan show. Make sure you read Seth's tears as they're dropping on The Athletic. Everybody, thanks for checking out The Athletic NBA Show.